Thank you very much for that. That was beautiful. I appreciate that. Well, if you uh, have a Bible at this time, if you would turn to the book of 2 Chronicles, it's in the Old Testament, uh, taking a little break from uh, our series in the book of Mark. I've been working on the sermon, the next sermon, um, but I, I wasn't quite done with it. And then I got the call and I thought, I don't think I can, I don't think, I don't think I have time to uh, finish that. And so I'll wait to, to do that uh, until next Sunday. So uh, today we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapter number 34. And uh, once you find that, if you're physically able to uh, join me in standing for the reading of God's word. 2 Chronicles chapter number 34, and we're just going to read um, verses 1 through 3 to start with, and we'll work our way down through much of this chapter, uh, probably not all of it, but um, we'll work our way through a good chunk of it. Second uh, Chronicles chapter number 34, the Bible says this, in verse number 1, Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And he reigned in Jerusalem one and thirty years, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in the ways of David his father, and declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father, and in the twelfth year he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places, and the groves, and the carved images, and the molten images. And let's pray together one more time. Father, thank you for the service thus far. Thank you for the wonderful music, and uh, just everyone who's here today. But Lord, now I pray that uh, you would bless uh, the reading of your word, and now the preaching of your word. And I ask that uh, you would use your word today to draw us closer to you, and uh, Lord, to bring about revival in each of our hearts. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. It had actually had been at least 35 years since the last righteous king ruled in Judah. And uh, to bring us back into context, again, uh, Israel's history began with one king named Saul. Uh, Saul re ended up rejecting the Lord, so the Lord rejected Saul and chose David, a young shepherd boy, to take his place. Uh, then David, uh, after David was his son Solomon who reigned, and then after Solomon it was Rehoboam, and during Rehoboam's reign is when the kingdom split, and we had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, and uh, the northern kingdom of Israel had uh, nothing but wicked kings throughout their entire, the rest of their history. Um, until they went into um, captivity. But, but Judah, they had a mixed bag of, of kings, uh, some good, some not so good. And, and, uh, and, and Josiah here was uh, the, a king of Judah. And it had been at least 35 years since the last righteous king ruled in Judah, since, since the last king that ruled that, was, that did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. And Josiah was crowned king after 35 years of nothing but evil. But here was a boy, only eight years old, who was one of the only ones in all of Scripture who have nothing bad written about him. There's no black eyes. There's no skeletons uh, in the closet that the Word of God sheds light upon. Now, certainly we know that Josiah was a sinner just like all of us, but but uh, by and large, he spent his life living for God and leading others to do the same. And Josiah ended up sparking a revival that impacted his entire country. An eight-year-old boy. Now, I think as we look at America today, uh, there's no question that this country needs a spiritual awakening. This country needs a return back to the things of God, absolutely. Um, now, could God use the people at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Moore, Oklahoma, to bring about a national revival? Well, if God can use an eight-year-old boy in Judah to bring about national revival, certainly he could use the church family here at Cornerstone Baptist Church to produce a spiritual revival that would go across this country. 
Now, but we need to remember before we start thinking about, boy, what would that look like if, if, if this country really did experience a spiritual awakening? First, we need to remember that in 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, For the time has come that judgment must begin not at the White House, but at the house of God. Uh, judgment must begin with us here who call ourselves believers. God says in 2 Chronicles 7 and verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, that's me, and that's you. Uh, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. First, you and I need to make sure that we're right with God, that our heart is in tune with the Lord. And then, only then can God do a work in and through us. Now, revival. The word revival means to restore, to refresh, to recall, or to return to consciousness or life. Uh, Brother Randy, I... If you don't mind, I'll, I'd like to share your hospital story this week. He's like, well, 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 what is that? <laughs> Which one? <laughs> Basically, uh, Brother Randy had to be shocked. His heart had to be uh, shocked into rhythm. And uh, most of us are familiar with defibrillators, the, the little things there. And, and I don't know if that's what they used exactly. Um, and uh, he has a couple souvenirs, one on his front of his chest and one on his back uh, from that, that shocking treatment that shocked his heart back into place. Um, defibrillators are those things where they, you know, the, the EMTs, you know, have them and they yell clear and then they jolt, send a jolt of electricity through your body to start your heart again. Defibrillators have saved a lot of lives and uh, they're a great tool, and I'm thankful for them. Now, I'm hoping and praying that this message this morning will act as a spiritual defibrillator in my life and in yours. I'm not saying that we're all dead spiritually, but perhaps we could use a little revival. Perhaps we can use a spiritual jolt to get us back into spiritual rhythm, like what happened to Brother Randy this week. Josiah was a young man who was used by an almighty God to bring about a revival in his land because jo Josiah was committed to at least four specific priorities, uh, the priorities of revival. And do we have that up on the screen? There we go. I thought we did. Uh, the priorities of revival. And so today we're going to be looking at four priorities that Josiah focused on and that we need to focus on as well if we're going to experience personal revival that will hopefully... God willing, lead to uh, revival that would spread throughout our community and perhaps throughout our nation. But first and foremost, we need to make sure that uh, we have personal revival before we ever are concerned about the other. What, what did Josiah focus in? What were the priorities of the revival that took place here in Judah in 2 Chronicles chapter number 34? Notice first of all here, as we walk down through this passage, Number one, the priority of a personal walk. The, prior, the priority of a personal walk. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. And verse number two says, And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and here it is, and walked in the ways of David his father, declined neither to the right hand nor to the left, for in the eighth year of his reign. Now he was eight. What is eight plus eight? Can somebody help me with that? Sixteen. Do we have any 16-year-olds in the house today? All right, we have one, Katie. Um, so you're wishing there was others, right? Because it would, like, I don't want all the spotlight on me. I get it. I get it. But 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 at 16 years old, okay. So still as a young man, it says in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David, his father, and in the twelfth year, and uh, we'll get into that. Uh, in, in a moment here, but 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 here is an eight-year-old man, he young man. He uh, he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, and in, and as sixteen-year-old young man, he really began to seek after the God of David. Now, as I was thinking about this, really, if anybody had 
ever had an excuse to walk away from God and his word, it was probably Josiah. If you think about it, his father and his grandfather were terribly wicked. I mean, he did not have a good upbringing. He wasn't like raised in a preacher's home or anything of that nature. His dad and his grandpa were horribly evil. Uh, If you go back to chapter 33 here, if your Bible's open to 34, go back to 33 and and look in verse number uh, 1. Okay, Manasseh. Manasseh was Josiah's grandpa, and here's what the Bible says in in, uh, chapter 33, verse 1. Manasseh was 12 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 50 and 5 years in Jerusalem, but did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, like unto the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Uh, Pick it up in verse number 9. Here's what Manasseh did. So Manasseh, here's what the Bible says about him, he made... He made Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to err and to do worse than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And so that was his grandpa. Now let's look at his dad in uh, verse number 21. So Ammon uh, was two and 20 years old when he began to reign and reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh his father, For Ammon sacrificed unto all the carved images which Manasseh his father had made and served them and humbled not himself before the Lord as Manasseh his father had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. So you can see here as uh, Josiah here is an eight-year-old young man. uh, He probably heard about his grandpa and his grandpa uh, did horribly wicked things. He did humble himself toward the end of his life. And then... then, uh, Ammon, uh, Josiah's dad, takes over, and uh, the Bible says here he, he, does, he trespassed more and more. So you can see here Ammon and Manasseh, not exactly a godly legacy that his family had left Josiah. So Josiah was kind of doomed to uh, live an ungodly life, right? Well, obviously we know that that doesn't happen. See, Environment is something, but it's not everything. And your upbringing is something, but it's not everything. And we ought not to be completely defined by either our environment nor our upbringing. And Josiah, he could have used that as an excuse, no doubt. He could have used his environment and his upbringing as, oh, I must probably follow in all of their footsteps. Now, certainly the example of mom and dad is absolutely critical and important. Uh, But uh, young people, you all have a free choice, too. And uh, Josiah here had a free free choice, and he chose to instead follow the Lord instead of the example of his dad and grandpa. He also did not use his youth as an excuse, either. He's like, well, I'm young. I might as well live it up while I'm young. Right now, I'm going to start getting serious about my relationship with God. And I hope you young people uh, start getting serious about your relationship with God now while you're young. Uh, don't, don't wait until you graduate high school and start your life. Don't wait until you get married and have a family and have a career and the mortgage is paid off before you... St- no. Get serious about your relationship with God right now. God used young people to accomplish great and mighty things as uh, throughout history. I think about Joseph, a young teenage young man who had a dream, and, and, uh, and we know that dream came to pass. David uh, was a young man, a young shepherd boy, who went up to Goliath as a young teenage boy, this giant of a man who no one was willing to fight. See, God is able to use young people, and, and, and I know society kind of says, yeah, you're just too young. You, you just got to get back to your video games and your texting and your social media and, and let us do the real things. No, no, no. God never has a time when, um, you know, you can start doing something for God. Here he used an eight-year-old boy to 
accomplish great things for God. He used Daniel. He used Timothy. Josiah. We're all used by the Lord. So teenagers, please don't ever let anyone tell you that you are too young for God to use. You're never too young and you're never too old for God to use you. And Josiah chose for himself that he would walk after the Lord. And we must all choose for ourselves who we will walk after. It was Joshua who said, And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And may the Lord help us to be like Josiah and say, You know what? Maybe my upbringing wasn't amazing. Maybe my parents weren't perfect, but I'm still going to choose to follow the Lord and do what's right. Micah 6.8 says this, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Josiah said, I'm going to walk humbly with my God. I'm going to seek after him. It was Enoch in Genesis chapter number 5 and verse 22, who walked with God after he begat Methuselah, 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And Enoch walked with God, verse 24 says, and he was not, for God took him. So Enoch had a walk with God. There's something about a personal walk with God that you can't, the other things are important, but you've got to have a personal relationship with the Lord. In Josiah's personal walk, he declined, according here back in chapter 34 of uh, in, chap- in verse number two, it says at the end of that, he declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. In other words, he uh, stayed on the straight and narrow. He didn't, he didn't get distracted. He didn't veer off course. He stayed where he was supposed to go. There's been many times in my life where I've strayed from the right path and I've always regretted it. I've shared the story about me when I was in my truck. When I first got my truck when I was in Bible college, I got my first truck. It was a Ford Ranger um, sport pickup truck. I thought, because I have a truck, I automatically have four-wheel drive. I didn't have four-wheel drive, but I thought I did. And so I asked my friend if he'd like to go off-roading with me. He said yes. And uh, we're, we're driving out on the east side of Lancaster out where there's a bunch of desert, and, and uh, there's every once in a while a, a little dirt road that, that veers off. And, and I was like, hey, we're taking the next one. So sure enough, the next one comes, and I... I get off of it, and, and we're bouncing around, and we're like, man, this is cool. We're on a truck off-roading in my four-wheel drive, which I thought it was, and it was not a four-wheel drive. And we're going, and in Lancaster, there's a bunch of sand in the desert, and the sand was really soft. We ended up getting stuck in the sand. Now, I thought I had four-wheel drive. That'd be no problem. Well, I didn't have four-wheel drive. And even if I did, it may, not, may still have gotten stuck because of the sand that I was in. The idea here is, look, stay on the right path, and, and, uh, and, and Josiah did. He did not veer. He, he declined neither to the right hand nor to the left. Can I, can I ask this question to you uh, this morning? Who were we walking after? Who were we really seeking after? In verse number three, here's what it says about Josiah. When he was 16 years old, he began to seek after the God of David, his father. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse number 1 to the teens and to all of us who still are, we would consider in our youth, it says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Look, what what are we waiting for? Start seeking him now. Isaiah 55 and verse 6 says, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Josiah had a personal relationship, a personal walk with God. And that's what kind of led to the other things here. But uh, if we don't get this, if we don't have a personal walk with God, a personal relationship with Him, where we spend time with Him each and every day, where we uh, get into God's Word and we're spending time learning who He is and, and, and learning how we are to be living. If we don't have a right walk with God, we're not going to have the other things that are going to be necessary for revival to take place. Josiah's personal walk, he made it a priority. Do you make it a priority? 
But not only did Josiah make his personal walk a priority, but also he was committed to the priority of purging wickedness. The priority of purging wickedness. In verse number three here it says, For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was yet young, he began to seek after the God of David his father. In the twelfth year, so eight plus twelve equals twenty. Thank you. Somebody got, has, they're like Sunday morning. I'm not supposed to have to work on math, right? Um, so he was 20 years old. Do we have any 20-year-olds 20 in the house today? All right, Jared. Okay. How old are you? You're 18. Okay. So 20. Uh, while he was 20 years old, because he began to seek after the Lord, because he began his personal walk with God, and it, you know, four years later here, it says, uh, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem from the high places and the groves and the carved images and the molten images. Remember all the images that his grandpa made and that his dad continued to worship. Now Josiah, as a 20-year-old man, says, no more. I see all this stuff going on, and it's got to stop. And so he takes a very bold stand. And the more Josiah began to seek the Lord, the more aware he became of God's holiness and righteousness. And at the same time, the more aware he was of his own condition and the condition of his nation. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, as he saw the Lord high and lifted up and train filled the temple and, and then the noise in heaven was... Uh, the noise in that throne room was holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. As he really gets a glimpse and an idea and an, a little bit of an understanding of God's holiness, he begins to look at himself and going, wow, woe is me, for I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And as Josiah began to seek the Lord and get right with God and get close to the Lord, he began to take inventory of his life and of his nation and realizing that what he has going on right there in his nation in Judah was, was not pleasing to God. There, they had all these images. They had all these high places, these places of I, 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 idolatry. And he said, we're going we're gonna to purge uh, wickedness from uh, our nation. Um, I, I like how he here... It, it, Let's, let's read verse number four, because we read verses one through three to begin with. But verse number four says, And they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence. I, I, I can't help but think he's like, you know what? I want you to take those images and I want you to break them before. I want to see it with my own eyes. I want to make sure all these things are gone and taken care of. That we're removing all of this sin and wickedness and this idolatry from our nation. So they break down the altars of Balaam in his presence and the images that were on high above them, he cut down and the groves and the carved images and the molten images he break in pieces, made dust of them and strotted upon the graves of them that had sacrificed unto them. I mean, he wanted to completely destroy and remove these things. Verse 5, he was serious about it because he also burnt the bones of the priests upon the altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. So... You think uh, Josiah was Mr. Popular? Probably not. A lot of people had their, this was their job. This was their means of making a living. But, but Josiah said, it doesn't matter. It's not pleasing to God. We need to destroy it. We need to remove it. Now, there were a lot of kings before him who tore down the high places and other places of false worship, but no one completely destroyed them quite like Josiah did. To have true revival is to take full inventory of our lives and make sure every nook and cranny is pleasing to God. Uh, I've mentioned this a uh, few weeks ago, but a few weeks ago, uh, right before college started, uh, we had uh, our nephew coming, and uh, we thought he was going to be living with us for a while. It turned out he was going to be living with us for like two weeks before he moved into the dorms. Um, but in preparation for that, we had to do a whole swaparoo of rooms and, and uh, reconfiguring our house. And 
And in the process, we had to move every child is in a different room than they were before that move. And uh, so they had, we had, everybody had to go through all of their stuff. I was going to say junk, but I'll be nice. Um, but we had to go through all of their stuff and, and move it. And you know what? It was a good thing. We're really glad we did because we were able to, you know, we, you know, pulling all that stuff out and, and like, oh, man, we need to, who, when was the last time we vacuumed under this bed, you know? Man, there's all kinds of things growing in there, whatever. Um, not really. It's, it's not that gross, but, um, but also not too far from that either. Uh, so anyway, it was, a, it was good to do that. Now, it took work. It took effort. But it was nice to have that totally done. Yesterday, we, now I realize the weather storm is coming through, but but our van needed to be cleaned. I mean, it needed a bath big time. I mean, like when was the last time this thing had a bath? I mean, and so we went and did a car wash and then we, uh, we cleaned it all inside and out and it felt good to get that clean again. When was the last time you really took like inventory of your life and said, okay, entertainment, how am I doing there? Um, my thought life, how's that going? Uh, my speech, how is that going? What, what, what am I allowing inside? And, and uh, what am, I, am I making sure that I'm having the right things coming inside? The influences? How's my relationship with my family? Am I making that the right type of a priority? And, and Josiah, as he began to really seek the Lord, he began to go, you know what? I need to look around and kind of see how everything matches up with God's holiness. These places of false worship, they need to be destroyed because they are an abomination to the Lord. What things in my life, what things in your life do we need to say that needs to get destroyed? That's an idol. Remember, we're, we're called, uh, our, our theme for this year at Cornerstone is looking into Jesus. Well, before that, we're called to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Sometimes things aren't necessarily wrong. You can't put, uh, in the Bible it doesn't say, thou shalt not play badminton. Like, badminton is not evil, okay? But if badminton and your tournaments always happen on Sunday and they keep you from the house of God and they, you're obsessed with badminton and want to get the coolest little racket and get the coolest little birdies, okay? I'm using a silly example here because I don't think anybody in here is wrapped up in the idol of badminton. And if you are, today's the day for you to get right with God, okay? Uh, the Lord has your number, okay? But, but I'm using badminton because it is a little out there, but there are some things that I could say that I know that some of us struggle with. And we get consumed with it, and it consumes our time, our money, our, our, our heart. And we neglect the things of God for it. Friend, that's an idol. I don't know how else to tell you. That's an idol. Can we be like Josiah and say, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I'm going to remove the wickedness. I'm going to purge it from my life. To have true revival is to take full inventory of our lives and make sure that every nook and cranny is pleasing to God. Psalm 90 and verse number 8, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, the psalmist said, and our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. You might be able to hide that idolatry from me, from your other family members, from your other friends, but I'm telling you, you cannot hide it from God. What about the drunk husband who snuck up the stairs quietly one night? He looked in the bathroom mirror and bandaged the bumps and bruises he'd received in a fight earlier that night at the bar. He then proceeded to climb into bed, smiling at the thought that he'd pull one over on his wife. When morning came, he opened his eyes and there stood his wife. You were drunk last night, weren't you? No, honey, I wasn't. Well, if you weren't, then who put all the band-aids on the bathroom mirror? <laughs> See, the thing is, is 
try as you might, you're not going to be able to hide your sin from God. A lot of us do try to hide our sins from everybody else. We want to act all perfect and pious. Um, but uh, God sees it all. Proverbs 15 and verse number 3, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Proverbs 5 and verse number 20, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. So Proverbs 28 verse 13 challenges us. It says, he that covereth his sins shall not prosper. A lot of times we like to hide those things and sweep it under the rug. One, one time we asked one of our children to sweep uh, our floor, and they did. They swept the crumbs underneath one of the rugs. I'm like, no, 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 that's not, that's, we're not getting rid of the crumbs. We need to get rid of the crumbs. Okay? But you know, as believers... We like to just kind of hide it, keep it there for when we need it again. But the way to really purge wickedness from our lives is, it says here, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsake them shall have mercy. That's Proverbs 28, 13. That's a great verse to memorize. Whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. The way to really purge wickedness from our lives is to admit that it's there. I know sometimes we don't like to admit these things, that there's idolatry, that there's sin, there's wickedness in our lives, but the thing is, we're never going to have mercy if we keep pretending like we're perfect. The truth of the matter is, folks, let's be honest, none of us are perfect. And uh, Paul said that he's the chief of sinners. Now, I know he's dead and gone, and he's in heaven, and it's not like I can have a debate with him, but I'd like to debate with him and say, actually, you haven't met me yet. Um, I, I feel like, you know what? But the thing is, is God's grace is greater than our sin. And uh, no matter how much sin, God's, great, God's grace is greater. But we need to admit that it's there, and then we need to abandon it. So admit that it's there and then abandon it. Get rid of it. Purge it from your life. Don't just put it in a corner so you can pick it up next time you think you need it. See, admit it and then abandon it. And that's exactly what Josiah did. He said, we're going to get rid of it. We're going to break these things down. We're going to burn the bones of the priest that sacrificed under these idols. Like we're going to do a complete thorough cleansing. And look, we're not going to have real revival if we're not willing to take this step. If we want to keep our sin, keep the weights that hold us and hinder us in our Christian life, you go ahead, but don't complain that there's no revival. If we're going to have revival, we need to have a personal walk with God. We need to have a purging of wickedness. And then thirdly, we need to have the priority of the place of worship. Pick it up in verse number 8. Now, in the 18th year of his reign, okay, so 8 plus 18 is what? 26. Do we have any 26-year-olds in the house tonight, today? I'll be 26, okay? I'm close enough. I'll, I'll represent the 26-year-old, okay? I'm close-ish. I'm just a few years removed from that. Maybe 19 years removed from that, but that's different. Um, all right, so... Here we have a 26-year-old Josiah, and here's what happens in, when he was 26 years old. It says, when he had purged the land and the house, he sent Shaphan and the son of Azaliah and Maasiah, um, the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Johas, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. And when they came to Hilkah, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites that kept the doors had gathered the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim and all, of all the remnant of Israel and of all Judah and Benjamin, and they returned to Jerusalem. They put it in the hand of the workmen that had the oversight of the house of the Lord. They gave it to the workmen that wrought in the house of the Lord to repair and amend the house. And uh, I keep reading here, and you, I'll let you kind of keep reading uh, maybe later on, but, but here's the deal. 
According to Jewish chronolo uh, chronology, it had been 218 long years since the temple had been repaired. Wow. Over two centuries that the temple had laid in ruins, and now Josiah, as a 26-year-old man, says, we're going to put a priority on the house of God, the place of worship, once again. And he made that, that place of worship important once again in his life and in the lives he had influence over. In our day, the place of worship is the church. And if we're going to experience true revival in our lives, it will only come through the local church. Now, I realize I'm speaking to people who came to church today. But I also know that the devil would love to sidetrack each of us so that Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights become very optional. Can I just encourage you as your pastor this morning to never let church attendance become optional for you? Not because somehow I need you to be here so that there's a crowd to preach to. Now, certainly that is a lot more fun than preaching to empty seats. I remember one of the things I hated most about COVID. Now, this, sure, people getting sick is something that I didn't really love and all of the other things, but I really hated preaching to a camera. <laughs> and so, yes, I want you here because it's a lot more enjoyable to preach to people. But that's not why I really, really want you here. Because I know that God somehow, and I don't have all of it in, I don't think we all understand the wisdom that God has in creating the local church and instituting it and, and, and all the importance that it is. But, but it is so important for you to be here. Yes, to receive, but also to give, uh, to provoke one another to love and to good works, to encourage me to en so that I can encourage you. I need you to be here and you need me to be here. We need each other here. By the way, the church was a priority to Josiah, but it was an even bigger priority. I mean, the church, the, the, place of, the place of worship was a priority to Josiah. But when we talk about the New Testament church, it was, it was a priority to Jesus so much so that he actually gave himself for the church and he shed his own blood for the church. So if it's that important to Jesus, can't we come back on Sunday night or in this case today, Sunday afternoon? Wednesday night? Can't we make a time for the Lord and for what he gave his life for? Can't we make time for that? Pastor in Kentucky wrote this regarding the church. He said, football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring and summer. This pastor has been an avid sports fan all his life, but I've had it, he says. Since I quit this sports business once and for all, you can't get me near one of those places again. Want to know why? He says, every time I went, they asked, for me for, they asked me for money. The people with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly. The seats were too hard and not all that comfortable. I went to many games, but the coach, you know, he never came to call on me. The referee, oh, he made a decision which I could not agree. I suspected that I was sitting with some hypocrites. They came to see their friends and what others were wearing rather than to see the game. Some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. Now, I will try to be mindful of that today, considering we have a shorter afternoon. But some, some games went into overtime, and I was late getting home. The band played some numbers that I had never heard before. It seems that the games are scheduled when I want to do other things. I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was growing up. I don't want to take my children in any games because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. That's pretty ridiculous when it comes to sports, but you know what? That is the mentality of many people when it comes to church. And that's why the writer said in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another to provoke and to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. 
Friend, if you don't think the day is approaching, uh, you're not paying attention. <laughs> I mean, that's just the bottom line. The day is approaching. Now, I, the, the fact is, you know, the time in which we're living in is not like the only time in history where it's been tough. There have been tough times. And so I, I do think the Lord could come at this time, but, but there's no guarantees that he's going to come during this time. But regardless, we do see that day coming when he will come back for us. And so that's the time for us to be more in church, to assemble together more and more, not less and less. I realize we get busy. But friend, if we, if we let the things that we're busy about become more important than what God considers important, that's, a, that's an idol, isn't it? Isn't that an idol? And we're talking about revival here. Somebody else wrote this, if you want to kill the church. If you want to kill the church, never go to your church or meetings held there. If you do, be late. It's no one's affair. If the weather is bad, either too hot or snowing, just stay home and rest for there'll be others going. But should you attend, be sure and remember to find fault with the work, each official and member. Be sure to hold back on your offerings and tithes. The bills will be paid by the rest of the guys. And never take office if offered the post, but eagerly criticize work of the host. If not on a committee you're placed, be sore. But if you find that you are, don't attend anymore. When asked your opinion on this thing or that, I have nothing to say. Just turn them down flat. Then after the meeting, shine out like the sun by telling the folks how it should have been done. Don't do any more than you possibly can. Leave the work for some other woman or man. And when you see faithful ones work themselves sick, then stand up and holler, it's run by a click. If you want to kill the church, that's a great way to do it. Um. There were repairs that Josiah was making in the house of God to bring it up to snuff. And, and here's the deal. Look, the repairs in the temple required money. People had to bring in the money. God's plan has always been that his people bring in his money to his place for his work. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. God's plan has always been for God's people to give. Uh, of course, he's not asking us to do something he wasn't first willing to do himself when he gave his only begotten son on the cross of Calvary for us. And when he gave, he gave his very best. So a personal walk was definitely a priority to Josiah. So was purging wickedness, and the place of worship became a priority to this man. And finally, let us turn to our attention. Last thought here very quickly, the priority of the perfect word. Let's pick it up in verse number 14, and I'm trying to uh, abbreviate some of this so that we can get out and get some lunch and get back here for our 4 o'clock service. But... Verse number 14 says, And when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah the priest found a book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. Hilkiah answered and said to Shepha the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah delivered the book to Shaphan. Shaphan carried the uh, book to the king and brought the king word back again, saying, All that was committed to thy servants, they do it. And so here we have the perfect word. In verse number 19, it says, And it came to pass when the king had heard the word of the law that he rent his clothes. In verse number, jump all the way down to verse number 29. Then the king sent and gathered together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. The king went up into the house of the Lord. And all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people, great and small, and he read in their ears all the words of the book of the covenant that was found in the house of the Lord. And the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. 
And he caused all that were present in Jerusalem and Benjamin to stand to it. And the inhabitants of Jerusalem did according to the covenant of God, the God of their fathers. So finally, there was the priority of the word of God. And uh, Josiah made it such a priority that he was willing to read the scriptures himself. I know all of us say the Bible's important. If I were to go around the room and say, raise your hand, or do you believe the Bible's important? Yes, yes, yes. I think everybody in here would say yes. If it's important, then are we actually in it? Are we looking at it every day? I know I'm pretty faithful, actually, to check my email. I'm pretty good at that. In fact, I check it multiple times a day. Um, probably 10 times a day I check my email, maybe more. Okay, God has sent me a special piece of communication. And it's promised to help me, guide me through my life. It's helped me. It, there's promises for those who are in God's word that, uh, again, God will guide and God will bless. How many times do I check the Bible? Now, I'm not saying I need to check it 10 times, but I better make sure I at least check it once. If I have time to check emails from JCPenney and Apple Computer and all the solicitations for sales and promotions and all these things, I'm pretty faithful to check all of those, but those don't have promises to bless my life and to guide and direct my life. Can't I take time to check the book that God has written? And can't you? I don't have time. It, it has been said that if you read at a normal pace, you can read through the Bible in about 60 hours-ish. You divide that by 360 days in the year, that's 10 minutes a day you can read through the entire Bible in a year. Friend, do you not have 10 minutes to give to God? Oh, I'm too busy on social media, checking what people ate for lunch. I'm glad to find out what people eat for lunch, but, but if we do that to the neglect of what God, God's word teaches and says, then my priorities are wrong. And can I be kind and say it graciously? So are you. If that's your priority, you've got to look at everybody's pictures and see what everybody else has to say, and you're not in the Bible yourself, your priorities are wrong. And we wonder why this country is not in experiencing revival. It's because God's people have not made the word of God a priority. Josiah read it. I, I think I, I, I love this verse, and, and we're about done here. 1 Samuel 3, 1 says, And the word of the Lord was precious in those days. I don't know that the word of God is precious in, by and large if you look at our culture as a whole. But may it be precious to us in these days, uh, to where we take time with it every day. We get to know it, and it, it becomes precious to us, see? Oh, Josiah took time to read it, and then, praise the Lord, Josiah took time to respond to it. It's not enough to know what God's Word says. We, we have to then apply it to our lives for it to do any good. James said it this way. Uh, don't just be good hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Uh, you don't want to just look. It's, it's like looking in the mirror this morning. Hopefully you all looked in the mirror. Looks like you all did. You all look great. But if I looked in the mirror, actually I did this morning, and I was like, I need a haircut, and I need to trim this thing. And I could have just said, you know what, who cares? I know what I need to do. I'm just going to go my way. And uh, I come to church, and you know, it wasn't obnoxious, but... Uh, it wasn't like I, you know, had dreadlocks coming out, you know, like that, a bald guy with dreadlocks. That would be, that's a mental picture that's going to scar you for life. Uh, picturing me with dreadlocks coming out of the side of my head. Yeah. Even I'm terrified of that thought. Okay. The idea is we look in the mirror, we see something that needs to be changed, and we go and change it. 
God's word is the mirror that we are to be looking at on a regular basis, on a daily basis, and we see things that need to be changed, don't just go, well, that's nice, and go our way. No, we need to apply and, 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 and change the things that need to be changed. And so if we're going to experience revival, we're going to need these priorities that Josiah had in his life. He had a priority of a personal walk. He made sure his relationship with God was personal. He took the time to purge wickedness from his life. I'm sure it was uncomfortable. I'm sure uh, the you know, mainstream media wasn't extremely happy with him. But he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And then he also made the place of worship a priority once again. I want to encourage you to make the local church a very important priority in your life. I realize things come up. I'm not trying to belittle people for being sick or going out on vacations. We've been sick, and I've missed services, and I'm the pastor for being sick and for being on vacation. I'm for that. Not for being sick, but I'm for vacations once in a while. But listen... We can easily let other things creep in and cause us to miss church here and there. Before we know it, we're not even going at all. Let's make the place of worship a priority and then the perfect word of God a priority in our life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this revival that the word of God records here under the leadership of a young king named Josiah. Lord, I thank you that you were able to use this young man to bring about a revival that would spread throughout the entire nation. Lord, I pray that uh, you would use this, this message to act as a spiritual defibrillator to, today, and that you may wake us up to and put us back into good, godly, spiritual rhythm once again. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to have the priority of a personal walk with you, to make, to make our relationship with you the, the biggest, number one priority in our lives. Help us, Lord, to, uh, as we get close to you, to be willing to remove things in our lives. Even if we've had them there for years, decades, help us, Lord, to be willing to sacrifice them for you. And then, Father, I pray that you would help the house of God, the place of worship, to be a big priority in our life. And then, of course, the word of God. May that be precious to us once again. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Miss Pat, would you begin playing right now? And, and as she does, uh, I want to invite you to have a time of prayer and decision there in your seat. As she plays, I want to encourage you to do business with the Lord as... I believe he's done business in your life as he has done in mine as well. Let's uh, have some time of prayer together. <laughs>